And Father, this morning we do say that we love you. God, we thank you so much for what you did by sending your son to this world to die for our sins. God, this morning I pray that you would be in this place. That your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us. May you comfort those who walked in here today who need to be comforted. May you convict those who need to be convicted today. God, may you give us guidance and wisdom and counsel in those areas where we might have confusion or we may not understand your ways and your will. God, I pray for all of us in this place, whether we're watching online or whether we're in this room, Father, I pray that, you, that your Holy Spirit would get a glimpse into our hearts. And God, I pray that you would change us from the inside out. God, I pray that we would be people who respond when you lead. We thank you for the gift of community. God, I thank you for bringing these who are here today together. God, may you be lifted up today. May you lead us in the study of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. We're in week five of our series called United, What Happens When the Church Prays. And today I want to take a look at probably one of the most familiar characters in God's Word as kind of an introduction to the topic today, what we're going to be focused on, and that's David. David is such an interesting figure in the Bible. Throughout Scripture, he's talked about, he's focused on. We see his great strengths and we see his catastrophic weaknesses. And we see in particular the catastrophic weakness of when one day he was in his palace looking over the city of Jerusalem. And he chose to walk into sin, to walk into an affair with one of his general's wife, Bathsheba. Many of you know the story of David and Bathsheba. And then to add insult to injury, David decided to send Uriah, this general, to the front lines of the battlefield ensuring his death. And David, in that moment of, of, of sin, um, kept this so deep down. He, he, he obviously had, had you know, been, been thinking about these things, and he kept this thing so secret, and he actually had to be confronted by Nathan the prophet. And today, I want us to look at 2 Samuel 12, 13. Nathan comes to David, and he gives this illustration, this metaphor, and he kind of tricks David into realizing that the one who is sinful is actually him. And he responds to Nathan. You can see it on the screens here. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sins. You shall not die. Now, the story of David is so interesting because from here, there are things about his life and the ramifications of this great sin, this great thing that he did in his life that was ungodly, that was against what God wanted, against what God desired. There were ramifications of that that really plagued David for the rest of his life. 
so many different things. You see it in the rest of 2 Samuel even. But I've always wondered two things about David's life. How could someone who says he was a man after God's own heart get to the point where he committed the sins that he committed? But the second thing I wonder is how did he get back to the point of being aligned with God in such a way that he pours his heart out, in particular in two different chapters? One is in Psalm 51 where we see David pouring his heart out to God with unclean hands. And I want to read just a few verses in Psalm 51. Check out verse 1. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. He says, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He goes on in verse Six to say, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He goes on in verse eight uh, to say, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out your iniquities. And then in verse 10, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And he goes on in Psalm 51, I think is one of the great chapters in in the Bible that really give a foreshadowing of what God would do with all of creation through the sacrifice of his son. But in David's case right there, his sin was right in front of him and God forgave his sin. And so I wonder how David got to the point where he committed such a great sin, but then I wonder how he got back to the point of being humble before God after he was confronted with that sin. It was the confrontation of Nathan that began the process of confession and repentance in David's life. There's another great chapter that we often miss in Psalm 32. And I want to read the first five verses of Psalm 32 just to set us up this morning. David cries out and he said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, I want you to let that land on you for a moment. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, in David's life, this man who later the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. In David's life, once he was confronted with his sin, once he was confronted with this act and how much it disappointed God, David decided that right then and there, once it was exposed, once it was uncovered, that he would begin the process of getting back to God through confession, 
through prayer, and through repentance. And David decided that he would just be honest with God, with hands wide open, to do whatever God needed to do with him. He decided that in his own life and in his prayer life, and we see this all throughout the Psalms that he wrote, we see it from the story of David and, and, uh, and, and uh, from, from Samuel and, and even kings there, that he went from this place of, of great sin to great repentance by putting himself in the circle of his prayer. We're in this series called United, What Happens When the Church Prays, and We've talked about bold prayers. We've talked about praying about our circumstances without stopping. We've talked about what it means that we can actually play a part in how God's plan is play, uh, played out in our lives and in life through our time with God in our prayer room and getting with God. But I think that sometimes maybe we go to one extreme or the, or, or the other in terms of the personal side of prayer. Sometimes we think that maybe God is, is someone who looks at a sin like this or looks at something that we've done that may be much less in terms of our kind of equality of sin. And, and, and he's this like you know, vicious kind of condemning, uh, condemning God. And we have this idea that he's going to force the truth out of us. Um, you guys know this past week was Halloween. I, I mentioned it on a video I did this week. Not my favorite holiday in the world. Okay, I'm just admitting that, right? In, when I was growing up, we didn't celebrate Halloween. We celebrated Reformation Day, okay? And that's like a whole sermon for another time. But, um, you know, we, we uh, saw a lot of different costumes. And one of the costumes that um, we saw was, uh, was Wonder Woman, right? And, and I don't know, how many of you used to watch the old Wonder Woman on TV? I, I watched that growing up, right? All right, everybody above like 40, all right? Or older, maybe, okay? So anyway, so Wonder Woman had this uh, really cool thing. She had the lasso of truth. There it is right there. You remember the lasso of truth? Remember the lasso of truth? She would use that lasso of truth, right? And she would make sure that whoever the evil one was, whoever the enemy was, that she would, you know, she would ensure to get the truth out of them, essentially by force. And I think sometimes our view of God is that he's going to use the lasso of truth. <laughs> and he's going to force the truth out of us. And he's going to force us to, to confess all of our sins. And, and for sure, in David's case, God used a man like Nathan. And perhaps in your case, there may be an element of someone who's in your life or some situation in your life that kind of gets you on your knees, kind of forces you. But i got to tell you, God is not a God who uses something like the lasso of truth to get us on our knees before him. But what God does... As he does want us, when we go to him in prayer, to get inside the circle of honesty. Because I think that sometimes what we do in our prayer life, when we begin to draw circles around our greatest needs, our most difficult circumstances, those greatest things that we want in life, I think we begin to draw circles around these different things in our life. And sometimes we forget. Like we have these bold, great prayers. We have these great, audacious things that we want God to accomplish in our lives, in our workplace, in our family. And, and we circle all of those things. And the problem is, no, I'm not going to do some hula hoop for you today. But the problem is, is that sometimes we ourselves go to God like he's our genie. 
And we forget sometimes that the circle that we need to draw first is a circle around us. And we need to step inside the circle and allow God to do what he wants to with our lives. Not because we're asking for everything that we want, but we're asking to be closer to him and more like him. And when we do that, he may begin to peel away some layers that are uncomfortable, but he begins to do it for our good and for his glory. And I wonder how many of us draw circles around everything in our life. We draw circles around our finances. We draw circles around like what we want. We draw, draw circles around this you know, educational pursuit that we have or this career pursuit. Or we draw a circle around a relationship. And we're just asking God like he's a genie to give us what he wants. And we forget that the first circle that we need to draw is around ourselves. And we need to be completely honest with God if we truly want our circumstances to change. John Piper, in a message I listened to recently, he said this. He said, I pray in concentric circles. He was talking about praying in concentric circles and either starting from within and working out into the world or starting from out and working in. And he says, I pray in concentric circles and I start with the inner circle because I'm the most needy, spiritual person I know. He says, so I pray about me a lot. He says, have mercy upon me. Convict me, kill me, change me, guard me, humble me, destroy those aspects of me. So I pray, he says, about me a lot because of how sinful I am. And, you know, God takes those things that we've done to disappoint him, and he doesn't want us to be wrapped up in a lasso of guilt or condemnation, but he does want us to step inside the circle of our prayers so he can do the great things within us, and he can do the great things among, among us and through us. And i got to tell you, church, that there have been so many times that I myself have gone into the closet of prayer, my time with God, and I've had that big, bold, audacious thing or that want or that need or that desire that is so heavy on my heart, and I walk out of the prayer room convicted about my circumstances because I'm the one that's created some of those circumstances. And God begins to change my attitude, my mind, and my heart. But it only happens when I put myself in the center of that circle of prayer. That honest, true confession to God. Who's there as a loving father who's already forgiven us of the sins that we've committed. And so we often go into our prayer room with a request for God. And if we are honest, if we are genuine, if we are true, and if we are truly listening to God, we'll leave with a directive from him. Something about us that maybe needs to change. And then God does the great things in changing our circumstances as well. So today I want to ask a question and just give three ideas, three answers to this question. How can our honest prayers to God affect actual change 
in our circumstances? How can our honest prayers to God affect actual change in our circumstances? First and foremost, if we really want that to happen, then first and foremost, we are going to be prepared for God to adjust our attitude. Yeah, it stinks, doesn't it? And my attitude even right now needs to be changed, right? All right, it's like even the way I said that kind of gives a window into my attitude, right? I'm on the way here this morning, and um, my, my daughter, who's 15, almost and a half, um, says to me, hey, Dad, um, we've decided that we're going to be putting up Christmas stuff here soon in our house. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I didn't look up that long while I was driving, okay, just so you know. I kept it safe. But she says, we've decided uh, that, that we're going to put up Christmas stuff in our house. And our November is always a little crazy, and so we do it a little bit early, um, earlier than most of, we don't, you know, most of the people that I know. And, and every year when it comes to this time, the older I get, the more grouchy I get about putting up Christmas stuff. I mean, I love Christmas, right? I love Christmas. I really do. But I want it done like that. I want, like, somebody else to do all the hard work, right? And so I always have this terrible attitude. I know some of you are judging me right now. I don't care. All right? Like, I have this terrible attitude about putting up Christmas stuff. And the fact is, is that my attitude leading up to it makes it so much worse than it really is. And when we get the stuff down from the attic and we have the Christmas music going and we have the fire roaring when it's 85 degrees out, it actually is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's just my attitude about it. And we have that same problem with God so often. Where our spirit towards him, our bent towards him is, is, is so vile. It's so, it, it's so negative. It's so derogatory that like our, our attitude becomes everything about our relationship with God. Both Paul and David talk about this, Ephesians 4, and in the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, says that in verse 4, 20, chapter 4, verse 23, Paul says, we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. We're going to talk about the mind in a minute, but I believe that the first place that like spiritual, like De, you know, uh, insensitivity begins and complacency begins, I believe is with our attitudes. And Paul talks about that when he says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. He wants us to be changed. We're going to talk about that word renew in a minute. Philippians 2, 5, this letter that Paul wrote to this other church, he says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And that is this attitude. It's both the mind. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it's also the spirit, the way that we approach God, the way that we view God, our predisposition to him may be wanting to change something about us before he changes our circumstance. And then David, as we read, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, a renew, and renew a right, what is that next word? Spirit within me. I believe that's talking about attitude, our attitude towards God. In verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And in verse 17, he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. And so I wonder how many of us today, the change that needs to be made in our circumstances 
may not be changed. It may not, we may not see effectual change until we solidly put our attitude about God and the work that he does through conviction of sin and change in our life. Until we get that right. Maybe our circumstances are just not going to change. So how do we, how do we have, how do our honest prayers to God affect actual change? We've got to be willing to have our attitude adjusted. But the second thing is, is we must be willing. We must be willing for God to renew our minds. You see, I believe that the beginning of spiritual complacency and spiritual rebellion begins with our attitude, but the place that it's really set in root is in our minds. I can tell you in my life, any time, any time, you know, any time I have an attitude of mistrust or willful sin or, or, or things that I don't see in my life that, that I'm going down a path of, of, of not following God's best and his plan for my life, every time I do that, it begins with my attitude, but it really begins to set root in my mind. And you see that in David over and over and over again. That this idea of our minds is so important. And clearly his confession and repentance is seen. But Paul makes this abundantly clear in Romans chapter 12 verse 2. I love this. He says this. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. He says, by the what? By the renewal of your minds. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. By the way, he's not saying that we need to be perfect. He's saying that God's will is perfect in that instance. He's saying that we don't need to be conformed by this world. And the problem with our minds is, is that if all we do is feast on what the world tells us, we're going to be conformed to what the world says we should be. And that's not aligned with God and his word, ever. The word in the original language there that's conformed is the word that we get schematic from. The word schematic, a model. And my question to you today is how much is your situation, your circumstance right now maybe related to the fact that you're just in the stream of what the world says? I know that when I have stuff in my life that needs to change, so many times it's just I'm being conformed by what comes into my mind. I'm just being conformed by what the world says and what, not what God says. But he says there in contrast, be transformed. The word transformed literally means to be changed from one thing to another. And we get the English word metamorphosis from the Greek word that's used here for transformed. When that caterpillar becomes a butterfly. That's the picture that Paul is trying to communicate to us. That it's our minds where we either make a choice to be conformed by what the world says, by what comes into our minds, or to be transformed by God. And so how are we going to have effectual change in our circumstances? It's first by being open to our attitudes, being changed. But the second thing is it's being willing to have our minds renewed 
And then lastly, today, if we're truly going to get in the prayer room with God and get in the circle, inside the circle of prayer, what we want in our lives to change, we've got to be ready for him to soften our hearts. We've got to be ready for God to soften our hearts, and that is not always an easy process. David in verse 10 of Psalm 51 says, create in me a clean heart a clean heart. You see, he had realized, he had realized the error of his ways led him and, and, and other people to a place of destruction. And so he says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Ezekiel is speaking on behalf of God, this prophet He's speaking to the nation of Israel on behalf of God when they had become complacent, when they had gone away from God. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, he says, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone. I will take away that heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. It begins with our attitude, takes root in our minds, and it plays out when we have a heart that has become hard towards God. In church, when we, as God's people, have developed a heart that is hard towards Him, it is nearly impossible for us to listen to Him unless we put ourselves in the center of what we're praying about and ask Him to begin to change all of it. He says, I will give you a new heart. See, for some of you, myself included, we must realize that a change in our circumstances first means a change in us. A change in our situation, in our, our current present that we may be frustrated with, depressed about, discouraged by, concerned about, prayerful about. All of those things may very well be things that God changes instantly and may have nothing to do with us, but, church, but, but, I would imagine there may be something in your life and mine right now that he wants to change about us. And until we decide as his people that we're going to put ourselves in the center of that prayer circle, I don't know if he's going to change it. I don't know if he's going to change those circumstances. He hears our prayers. He listens to us. But is he going to answer in a way that's truly good for you and good and and glorifying to him? I don't know. Honest prayer leads me from what I want to what God wants. And isn't that the point of prayer in the first place? To be in alignment, as Justin said a few weeks ago, with God's purpose and God's plan. You see, church, this is how we do it. This is the way that we go about that. This is how we can most effectively come in alignment with his plan, with his will, with his purpose, is by deciding today that like David, once he was confronted by Nathan, he would open his hands and he put himself right in the middle. He said, God, change this, change this. So my question to you today is what have you been frustrated with for weeks, for months, for years? 
And you've been crying out to God. And perhaps you've even been shaking your fist to God. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, one more time going back to him in prayer, you'll begin to see effective change when you put yourself in the middle and you say, God, what do I need to change first? What needs to change about me? I promise you he won't lead you down a path of guilt. I promise you he won't lead you down a path of judgment. I promise you he won't lead you down a path of condemnation. In fact, that's why he sent his son in the first place, so that we can stand in the middle of that prayer circle, honestly opening our arms, opening our hands, and saying, God, what do you want with this? Oh, man, God has so much for you. He has so much for me. Maybe it's dependent on us doing this. You know, we'll see amazing things when it happens in our lives individually. But when the church prays with honest hearts, God's people then are together transformed. And we, as his church, are brought in alignment with his will and his way. It's amazing what God will do in and through us as a church if we all open our arms, open our palms, open our hands and say, God, what is it about me that needs inspection? What is it about me that needs to change? Father God, I pray that you would lead us and guide us even today, even in this place. God, I pray, I pray that I would, as the pastor of Hilton Head Island Community Church, that I would be the first one that every day wakes up and begins to pray those concentric circles. And God, I pray that it begins with me. God, I pray that you would give each one of us, myself included, the courage and the confidence to open our hands to you, to ask what you want from us, to ask how we need to change. And Holy Spirit, when you inspect our lives, God, I pray that we would be like David and that we would ask for any way that's in us to be changed. God, I pray that you would take our attitudes and that you would make the adjustment. God, I pray that you would take our minds and you would help cleanse them. That you would change what we put in if that needs to be changed. God, I pray that you would take us from a place of of inputting garbage and because we're inputting garbage into our minds that's how we're living and our situations are just frustrating because that's all we're doing god i pray that you would give us the courage and the confidence to overcome that god i pray finally that you would change our hearts god i pray for anyone who's in here who maybe in their journey with you they've become hard-hearted they've kind of become complacent towards you moving in their life. Father God, I pray that as Ezekiel prayed, God, that you would replace that heart of stone with a heart of flesh. God, I pray that we would be pliable with you, that we would be open and willing and ready for you to do the work that you want to do in us because we decide that we are going to draw a circle around ourselves first. 
God, I pray for anyone who's in here who's struggling right now with some kind of circumstance God, that may be related to an attitude or their mind or their heart. God, I, I pray that you would begin to change them right now here today in this place. And God, most of all, I thank you so much for the picture of forgiveness that David shouted about. And yes, his circumstances on earth probably changed for the rest of his life in some areas because of his sin, but God, you forgave him and you forgive us. And we're so thankful for that forgiveness. God, I thank you for what you did by sending Jesus to this world to die on the cross so that we can walk in that forgiveness, so that we can have the confidence to draw that circle around ourselves first and foremost and ask for you to do a, an amazing work in us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead and that you would guide and that you would change. And God, I pray that we would be open to what you're doing in our lives and in our church. God, we can't wait to see the great things that you do in and through your people who come to you, not in perfection, but with clean hands and a pure heart. Change us from the inside out. We love you, Jesus. We give you praise this morning. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.